0: What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 125 for Thursday, January 26, 2012. The intro music you just heard was Brodus Clay's intro music, which you can find on iTunes. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. If you want to leave any feedback, have any questions... 347-815-0MTR, 347-815-0687. That number is for any feedback that will be played live on air. In the event you don't want your audio played on air, please make sure to let me know prior to recording your message. Thanks. Alright, lots of stuff to discuss this week. Of course, this is a, a milestone episode for me personally, 125 episodes I didn't want to go crazy and try and book a guest and do any silly shit only because it's a milestone because it's 125 but it's still another number. I wouldn't I wouldn't be this hype if it were, you know, episode 150 or 200. Those for me are milestone episodes. 125 is just a uh another number for me and I'm I'm proud to get this far. I thought I would have quit a while ago only because it's a it's a very stressful Job when it's not your full time gig, but nonetheless, I take pride in giving you guys 125 episodes of ridiculousness, insanity, foul language, and hopefully some news that will entertain you. So let's not harp on that and get into the housekeeping for this week. A couple of things I want to discuss um, our Facebook fan page is gradually. Been increasing in followers. I'd like to welcome all our new fans and thank those guys for participating on the fan page. We're trying to do more stuff on Facebook. Um, Be on the lookout for that. Also, we've surpassed a 1,000 followers on Twitter, so welcome new followers there. Uh, Lots of great contacts and great people I've met so far, um, including uh, reps from The Underground Clown, Lark, and various other brands as well. And want to welcome those guys that are following me there. Also, incredible numbers and huge increases across the board from Libsyn downloads, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher. Um, People have consumed over 22,000 minutes of MTR audio on Stitcher. We are almost at 30,000 downloads in six months on Blog Talk Radio. These are all numbers that I'm proud to share with you guys because you guys are the ones that make this happen. I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes I beat you guys up and um, curse you guys out quite a bit, especially for your lack of interaction and your lack of involvement, but those of you that are legit on board, I always appreciate the support, and it's, it's a long road to get you guys great content, and I'm glad that those of you that do participate continue to do so. As I mentioned, of course, our Stitcher numbers come from users downloading and streaming the show via the stitcher app which you can pick up on android and ios devices as well as WebOS and blackberry now the stitcher app is a little different than most apps because it allows you to stream mtr directly no need to sync it with itunes or download mp3s streams directly and not only that but if you download the app using the my take promo code you'll be eligible to win a 100 dollars gift card All you got to do is head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and enter the my take promo code and you'll be eligible for that $100 gift card courtesy of MTR and Stitcher. So do your part if you want to get MTR that way and use the Stitcher app. Of course, if you really want to get some of the features and exclusives available to many of our listeners, you can get the MTR app as well available in the Amazon Marketplace and also on iOS devices. It'll run you $1.99. You'll get full access to 96K stereo audio for all the episodes, including our special content, MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic, which are two of the interview series that we've started doing. In addition to that, we are bringing back the Minority Film Report. Slick and I have a ton of great movies that we're going to be giving the uh, Minority Science Theater vibe. So be on the lookout for that as well. And we're going to start doing more content on My Take Radio TV. I know I've been slacking. I've recorded a couple of different hands-on videos with certain devices and a, and a couple of things with that. So you'll be seeing that probably within the next 2 weeks. Also, next month, the final 2 weeks of February, well, the the 3rd and 4th week of February, the uh, the first episode for March will be live. We will be having pre-recorded episodes of MTR. We're not going to be doing live episodes that week. I am actually going to split the show into four mini-shows dedicated to each of the segments that we cover, and I will have guest hosts for those shows. So we may have, for instance, on the MMA show, it might be me and MMA Valor, or Gary, formerly from MMA Gospel, or Spilled Bag of Ice. Who knows? Um, On the gaming portion, we might have Kevin from VGN, Jedi from VGN. uh, Some of the guys from the CS Ball may join us for the wrestling show. It's going to be fun. We're going to keep them real short, 30 to 45 minutes um, tops. And we're going to just break that up over the course of the week. And we're going to test that out and see what kind of feedback we get for those two weeks that we're going to do non-live shows. This doesn't mean that the live component of the show is going away. It's just a pilot that we're testing out to see if it's even beneficial to go that route in the future. Lastly, I did want to say that MTR will be attending the premiere screening tomorrow of Safe House with Denzel Washington and Ryan Reynolds. We will be there checking the film out. And there will be a review of the film probably the week of release. We will also be attending the press junket and meeting with the director as well. So be on the lookout for that. Probably within the next few weeks. That's all I can tell you guys with regards to that. But um, I will tell you that we're really excited about this opportunity and getting the chance to see the movie well in advance. We are also going to be debuting... On a new platform, I'm assuming within the next thirty to sixty days, I can't go too crazy telling you guys all about it, but I will tell you that it's something totally different and totally unique for end users across the board and it's gonna be Android based. So be on the lookout for that announcement from us probably within the next thirty to sixty days, if not sooner. So those are all the announcements with regards to that. Uh, keep checking in on Get Glue. I see the numbers. I appreciate all the support you guys are doing. Um, be on the lookout, hopefully, for some stickers at some point. Nothing has been done with that. MTR merch, as always, head over to the MTR T-shirt store by going to mytakeradio.com, clicking the link there. If you're an Amazon shopper and want to help us out, do your shopping through the MTR Amazon shop. Uh, proceeds from sales help My Take Radio to give you guys better audio, new equipment, uh, event coverage, etc., etc., And you'll use the same reliable services that you've come to expect from Amazon, all while helping MTR at the same time. So check it out. All the stuff we talk about on air is there. Movies, games, gadgets, graphic novels, collectibles, it's all there. So stop by, check that out. But that's going to wrap it up. There really was uh, nothing going on this week for me to rant about in an opening monologue. It was actually a rather quiet week for yours truly, so... I guess in a way it works well, and besides, my blood pressure needs a break. Uh, So let's get into tonight's topics. We're going to talk about UFC on FX1, we're going to talk about this week's Raw, we're also going to get into what's going to be going on with uh, the Royal Rumble, Dana White versus the internet, which is a story that just popped off shortly before we went on air, and a ton of other shit, so let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, let's talk about the UFC on FX uh, event that took place this past weekend. Uh, really phenomenal night of night of fights. A lot of people were giving me shit because they were like, "Oh, it's an FX card. The UFC is really tossing us all the bullshit fights." You know, these fights are, are mid card to opener fights. And I told a couple of people that I was really cool with. I'm like, "Look, man." Every event you're going to get is going to be good in its own way and to give it a shot. And those same people called me shortly after the event and they were like, hey man, that card was fucking solid. And before I talk about the fights on FX, I just want to talk about um, a middleweight bout uh, with Jorge Rivera and Eric Schaefer. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jorge Rivera's. He's He's always an exciting fighter to watch. He comes in, gives it 110%. And this particular fight was actually his final fight in the octagon. Uh, he is retired well, he did retire and he went out in exciting fashion, securing a victory over Eric Schaefer via TKO at a minute and thirty-one seconds in round two. Uh, Rivera looked really good in that fight. He leaves the organization at 18 and 9 and leaves us with a lot of memory, so I just want to take a moment and thank Jorge Rivera for his contributions to the sport and wish him the best of luck. On the FX side of things, opening things up was one of my favorite fighters, uh, Hyper Die Pat Barry, taking on Christian Moorcraft. Um, it, it, very, very awkward matchup for Barry, of course, fighting guys that are bigger than him. Uh, Barry doing his thing with um, using his great Muay Thai, but he ended up securing the victory with a beautiful right hand that f- destroyed Christian Moorcraft's fucking head. He just fell over like a sack of potatoes. It was a fantastic fight. Uh, props to pat barry for an exciting ko to open things up at three minutes and 38 seconds around one Uh, his post fight interview as always was a typical pat barry thank you fest but he did something i haven't seen before and that's planking in the octagon he did do that Uh, big clown pat barry is but he's always super exciting to watch he makes he makes watching the sport exciting and his his jovial demeanor just brings a, a different dimension to the octagon so i'm very happy for pat Um, with his great performance on the bantamweight side of things mike easton and jared papazian everybody pretty much thought that this was going to be an i'm going to get up and take a shit match Uh, that was not the case both guys super explosive great exchanges on the stand-up mike easton has a limitless supply well limitless an unlimited supply of energy he just came in there and he was hyped from start to finish great clinching fantastic stand-up Easton looked really good in rounds one and two. I think Papazian looked a little bit more aggressive in the third round, uh, using, um, a lot of his good striking, but hey, it was a great welcome into the octagon for Papazian and a fantastic performance from Easton. Easton took the fight via majority decision across the board on the co-main event. Welterweight side of things. Dwayne Ben Ludwig took on Josh, the dentist near and, um, I expected this fight to go the distance, but that was not the case. Josh Nier, uh worked excellent stand-up, used a single leg to trip uh, Ludwig, at which point he secured bottom position and locked the guillotine in. Ludwig tried to fight his way out, but he couldn't, and he actually ended up going unconscious from that submission, and Josh Neer wins uh, via guillotine submission in the first round. Main event side of things, Melvin Gallard, Jim Miller. I couldn't root against either one of these guys. Melvin Gallard is an exciting prospect. Comes in, always game to fight. Super exciting to watch. Jim Miller is just an animal. And I have to admit, Gallard came in, had great striking to start things off. Used a lot of flying knees, a lot of great stand-up. But Miller just weathered the storm, secured a takedown, at which point he took Gallard's back and... um Took, a, took this victory via rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, great performance by Miller. A fantastic card from fight from start to finish on free TV. And, of course, we're treated this weekend to UFC on Fox, which I'll be discussing later on in the MMA segment. But it was just an exciting night of fights. And a lot of bonuses got handed out as well. Pat Barry and Christian Moorcraft, uh, Jim Miller, and Nick Dennis all scored $45,000 fight night bonuses. Nick Dennis got knocked out of the night with his 22nd win over Joseph Sandoval. Miller got submission of the night with the rear naked choke on Gallard. And Barry and Moorcraft got fight of the night, of course, with Pat Barry's ridiculous knockout. Props to all the fighters involved and props to the UFC for a great event on FX. Moving on into some Showtime news. Uh, Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate's fight is officially on March 2nd in the Greater Columbus Convention Center in Hall C, so be on the lookout for that, 5 p.m. Eastern, March 2nd, that show is going to be taking place during the Arnold Schwarzenegger Sports Festival, which many of you know that are in Ohio, is a three-day event, uh, great card on Showtime, main event, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey for the bantamweight title, Paul Daly's going to be on that card, KJ Nunes is on that card, Sarah Kaufman, Carlos Fedor, um, this is actually a fight that I don't want to say is going to make or break women's MMA, but it's definitely, it's going to be something like, well, I don't even want to say it's going to be something like, I think that this is the fight that is going to bring women's MMA back into the forefront. uh, Primarily because there's a ton of drama going into this fight. A lot of shit talking from both ladies. Both ladies are easy on the eyes and both of them have mainstream appeal that can take them further in the sport if they continue to, fight on a frequent basis i think that overall both ladies bring a lot to the table misha tate with her wrestling ronda rousey with her judo and submissions it's going to be an exciting fight and i recommend that if you haven't seen a female mixed martial arts match you check it out on showtime march 2nd because it's going to be solid telling you guys right now bobby lashley is in the news this week he was the subject of a rumor that had him fighting fedor which um, has since been pretty much put to sleep, but you never know, stranger things have happened. He went on record as saying that he got an offer from Bellator and also gave people a little bit of insight to a potential fight with Dave Bautista. Now, before I go into some of his commentary, I will say this. Bobby Lashley is an exceptional wrestler. He is a fantastic athlete. The only problem with Bobby Lashley has been so far that... There's a part of me that feels that he wants these opportunities to be handed to him based on his pedigree and not on his ability. And what I'm saying is he's a phenomenal wrestler. He's a WWE name, but he's not on that same level that Brock Lesnar was. Bobby Lashley is a lot more soft-spoken and just doesn't have that showmanship quality that Brock Lesnar had. In terms of ability, I think Bobby Lashley, if he applied himself much like Brock Lesnar should have applied himself couldn't go very far in the sport but he really needs to focus on just one thing when he was splitting time between TNA and an MMA I said to myself it was a recipe for disaster because it's very hard for legit MMA fans to take him seriously because while most of us are crossover fans there's still a lot of hardcore MMA fans that feel that wrestlers are encroaching uh, well wrestling fans are encroaching on their sport. I will say this, Lashley got tested by Chad Griggs and his spirit was broken after that fight in my opinion and to go in there and do a fight with a guy like Fedor, Fedor will will humble Lashley very quickly. As much as people like to shit on Fedor, which is foolish, I think Fedor is still a very game and very dangerous heavyweight and against a guy like Lashley whose experience still hasn't reached any sort of potential, he's going to get murdered in that fight. Now, Lashley joining with Bellator works for a couple of reasons. Obviously, with Bellator debuting on Spike TV, it allows um, a little bit of cross-promotion with TNA since he used to wrestle for them, which is stupid as well. That's a whole other story, but it allows him to work in front of a crowd again and build his momentum on an MMA platform and stop relying on wrestling. If he wants to get involved with Bellator, he has to take the shit serious because he will get his ass beat. Simple as that. Now, a potential fight with Batista, he... I'm going to share the commentary with you guys. He said the following. I know a lot of people are looking at that fight and saying I shouldn't take it. But that's the entertainment aspect of MMA. If the wrestling fans want that, then it's an opportunity for me to have a fight. Which will probably warrant a good amount of money. I'll take the fight. No problem. Now, my issue with this is the following. He is looking at MMA as an entertainment aspect... in an entertainment aspect, instead of looking at it as the fact that you are getting punched in the fucking grill. Seriously. You're looking at at MMA from an entertainment aspect and not looking at it from the opportunity to solidify yourself as a solid, legit contender in an organization. No, you want to try and turn MMA into a freak show, fighting Batista? Sure. I'd like for you to punch Batista in his fucking star-shaped navel, but... On the same token, what if Batista whoops your ass? You just got your ass whooped by a guy who got into MMA recently, is substantially older, and is probably in MMA for the same reason you are. I think it's foolish on his part to take that fight, and if he does want to do it for entertainment purposes, then he really shouldn't be a uh, full-time MMA fighter. It's as simple as that because all that's going to do is sully his reputation as a guy that's just looking for a quick payday. If he wants to do that, he should just go to Japan because it worked for Bob Sapp in Japan being a freak show and doing all the freak show fights in Japan. Let him do that. It's it's ridiculous that, you know, Bobby Lashley can sit there and say, "Yeah, you know, it's great to fight Fedor and blah blah." If Fedor would eat him alive. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but he needs to figure it out quick. In some other UFC news, fresh off his victory over Melvin Gillard, Jim Miller will now be facing Nate Diaz at UFC on Fox 3 in May. That's going to be taking place May 5th. And it's going to be taking place in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So those of you that are in New York and just continue to hate on other states for being able to to participate in live MMA events, get in your car, go to East Rutherford, New Jersey, show your support, and watch Jim Miller face Nate Diaz May 5th on Fox. Another event that seems to have been taking place is the UFC on Fuel TV card. That's going to be happening February 15th. That's from the Omaha Civic Auditorium in Omaha, Nebraska. Main event, Jake Ellenberger versus Diego Sanchez. You got Dave Herman versus Stefan Struve. Uh, Ronnie Marks has taken on Aaron Simpson. And Philip DeFries has taken on Stipe Miocic on the main card on Fuel TV. Prelims will be on Facebook. Uh, Jonathan Brookins is on that card. Ivan Menjavar, um, TJ Dillashaw. There's a couple of great competitors on the Facebook side of things. Make sure to become a UFC fan on Facebook to get access to those fights. And they'll be going on February 15th. This weekend, of course, we got the big one UFC on Fox. A uh, uh, ton of repercussions from all the fights on this card. Um, let's go through the prelims first, which will be on Fuel TV. Joey Beltran versus a debuting LeVar Johnson who fought for Strike Force. Michael Johnson's taking on Shane Royer, Charles Oliveira, Eric Wisely. Cub Swanson, George Roop, Mike Russo's taking on John Olav, I Nemo, Team Golden Glory, definitely got to support those guys. And Evan Dunham and Nick Lentz are on the Fuel TV card. Main card on Fox, huge, huge implications across the board. Damian Maya's meeting Chris Weedman representing New York City. Props to Weedman for taking the fight on short notice. Uh, the man, Chael Sonnen, taking on Michael the Count Bisping, middleweight, winner of this fight, goes on to face Anderson Silva. Light heavyweight. Rashad Evans, Phil Davis, winner of this fight, goes on to face John Jones, allegedly because Dana White's been back and forth with regards to the winner of this fight facing Jones. Honestly, I think that it should go down. Rashad Evans has been waiting for his opportunity, but I also think that if Davis can secure the victory and take his undefeated momentum in there, he'd be a great opponent for John Jones as well. Now, Let's talk about what's going on with Dana White. A couple of hours ago, Dana White went on record uh, pretty much chastising the hacker community over what's been going on with the UFC website. Now, the UFC website was hacked uh, last weekend by the group known as the UG Nazi Group. Um, they went, they took down the UFC website for quite a few hours. Site was restored, and basically a lot of people are stating that it was in retaliation to the UFC supporting SOPA and PIPA. Now here's the here's the crazy part. The UFC and Dana White pretty much their stance on the on the whole matter is that they support it because they really want to put the kibosh on people uh streaming pay per views and taking away revenue from the organization and the fighters. I can respect that, but SOPA and PIPA are also detrimental to everyone else, and the problem is that it's a very one-sided view of the situation on the UFC's part. The UFC should look at it as they should go after the sites that are pirating their broadcasts. You can't go after just regular sites. Like, if I decided that I'm going to share a YouTube clip from a fight in one of my posts, I shouldn't be held accountable for something like that, considering it's public information available on the UFC's channel. Not only that, but it raises awareness for your product. I enjoy going and uh, sharing fight clips and, and moments from various MMA cards. Ben, one of our writers, also does it. He shares highlights from fighters that you may not have even heard of before. And SOPA and PIPA, while in the grand scheme of things, they look like they're um combating piracy and things of that nature the fact of the matter is that they are taking away the freedoms of of individuals for certain things that just have nothing to do with piracy and illegal acts of that nature now Dana White went on Twitter um, a little while ago and challenged the hackers pretty much saying that he doesn't give a fuck if they take down the UFC site he, you know, he, he could care less. he called them cowards, etc, etc, etc. This led to the UG Nazi group uh, putting Dana White's social security number on Twitter, his phone number on Twitter, and various other personal records on Twitter. This happened about an hour ago. In addition to that, somebody who was running the anonymous Twitter got into a debate with Dana White as well with regards to Dana White feeling that the internet is comprised of cowards and that hacking is equivalent to terrorism. Now, the funny thing about that is I can understand Dana White's frustration because fighters get a portion of pay-per-view revenue and by stealing the pay-per-views, you are stealing livelihood from the fighters. I can understand that, but... On the same token, they really need to become more familiar with their internet savvy fans. Because the fact is that just because somebody's behind a keyboard doesn't automatically make them um, uh, uh, a bad person for being a fan of your organization just because you use Twitter to communicate your thoughts and sometimes you say things that you that people don't agree with it doesn't make you a bad person it's an open platform and last time I checked we were all protected by freedom of speech if I want to go on Twitter and pull a bloodstained lane and say that Dana White is a bald fuck that's my opinion and I'm entitled to it and no organization, no governing body, no government can take that liberty away from me. That's fact. Now, if I want to go and, you know, I want to stream a pay-per-view, fine. I should definitely be held accountable for it. But in terms of stating your views and just sharing content that's out there that will increase awareness of an interest or a sport that you really care about should not be chastised. Seriously. Same thing with with people talking about, it. oh, if you jailbreak your device, it's a crime. Let me get this straight. I decided to spend $600 on whatever iOS device I fucking wanted. If I want to pay $600 and proceed to jerk off on my device, that's what I want to do. If I want to take a shit on my device, that's what I'm entitled to do because I paid $600 for it. If I decide to dip my iPhone in a bowl of fucking chili because I am bored... I should be entitled to it. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous that that because you jailbroke it and you wanted to add some silly shit to it, you're it's going to be a crime for you to do that? That's okay. You know, people are getting kidnapped, the government's in the shitter, and we're worried about little Jimmy unlocking his fucking iPhone. P- the government's priorities are in the fucking toilet. SOPA, PIPA, and the newly formed ACTA are all legislation that if if looked at with a fine-tooth comb would prove to be a detriment to us. Fact is, you don't want people to bootleg your shit, you don't want people to steal your shit, then either price yourselves competitively and don't abuse certain powers that you have. I know people that they get frustrated when the game that they paid $60 for gets re-released two weeks later with all the DLC that they just bought. So the $60 game just became an $80 game, but two months from now, or, or in some cases less, the same game will be available at a reduced price. What does that do? It sours the consumer. Same thing with charging people $20 to go and see a movie. By the time you enjoy a full theater experience, You'll have spent more than what you'd pay for a movie on Blu-ray. My nephew, who's in the chat, can attest to the fact. We went to see Transformers in 3D IMAX, and between him and I, just our tickets were forty dollars. Forty. Not, and that's not counting any sort of uh, concessions, sodas. Forty fucking dollars. You know how much the Blu-ray of Transformers was? Nineteen ninety-nine. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous. I understand where the UFC is coming from. I do. I know that, that they lose revenue when people go and bootleg their fights or stream their fights illegally. I understand that. But I also feel that if a bar wants to order the pay-per-view and let people see it, you're still getting $60. You're still getting it. It's ridiculous. And Dana White, there's a better way to dialogue with people. I love Dana White, he's a fantastic businessman, he has tremendous business acumen, but you can't go and just proceed to call somebody a dickhead on the internet when they can easily get your personal information and toss it out there. It's, it's as easy as that, there's, there's a better way to dialogue with the hacking community than calling them cowards and terrorists. Because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's raising awareness for multiple things. Hackers doing what they do raise awareness for SOPA and PIPA legislation, which conveniently was kept quiet by the press up until countless sites, including MyTakeRadio.com, blacked out. So I think this really needs to be addressed, and going about it in, in such an abrasive manner on Dana White's part may bite him in the ass. I also wanted to close out by saying that for those of you that were thinking and were excited about Chael Sonnen being accompanied by CM Punk this weekend, a quick reminder that that is not going to happen. Vince McMahon decided to prohibit CM Punk's involvement. Of course, Chael Sonnen went on record today with Ariel Helwani and said, you know, him and CM Punk are friends and he is bummed that CM Punk will not be accompanying him, but... He he did kind of say that had CM Punk accompanied him, he may have come out to cult of personality. So that's kind of cool. Um, fact is, it's it it really would have been great crossover for both for both organizations. It's sad that it went the way it went, but hey, CM Punk has the Rumble Sunday. Chael Sonnen has an ass whooping to administer Saturday, and that's gonna wrap things up. Let's get right into the wrestling segment and. With that said, take it away, Booker T. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! My generation, will take the fall. The Saints, No across the nation, and it's a... State. this week had a couple of great moments a couple um of course we did get a Brodus clay appearance and we did get uh zach Ryder continuing to be buried in the words of andrew kusher buried in capital letters but let's open things up with um the promo cm punk comes out cuts a nice little promo john cena comes out joins cm punk Blase Bla set up the first match, tag match, with Mr. Ziggles and Swagger Jackin against CM Punk and John Cena. Very formulaic. It was pretty much what you would expect. Johnny Ace involved himself, and Ziggler and Swagger steal the victory. I will say that had it not gone the way it gone, it was leading to a very solid tag match. I think um, Cena and Punk work well together. Ziggler, of course, is... Leaps and bounds better than a lot of guys on that roster. I was very impressed with the match. Just the uh, the screw job, we all knew it was coming as soon as fucking John Laryngitis was out there talking shit. Of course, Chris Jericho comes out. This time he actually says something. We get a video package for the highlight reel, aptly named of course. Goes and says that this Sunday at the Royal Rumble, it will be. The, it's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Clearly, a lot of people have their money on Chris Jericho winning the Rumble on Sunday and challenging CM Punk on Monday. Frankly, I have no problem with that. I just feel that the build-up for a match with Punk and Jericho at WrestleMania is going to be tremendously entertaining. So I'm really hoping that they do go in that direction and give Chris Jericho the win at the Rumble. Next up, we got a false count anywhere match with Kane. And Zack Ryder, which of course if Cena got involved in, Zack Ryder would forfeit any opportunity at an IC title rematch. Kane comes out in systematic fashion and proceeds to whoop Zack Ryder's ass. Choke slams him through the stage. Eve is standing there shaking and quivering and acting like a complete bag of shit. I think that a cancerous tumor has better acting capabilities than Eve Torres does. The only thing I notice every week is that Eve Torres seems to get whiter and whiter. I remember when she debuted, she was kind of brown, same color as, as as me, and now she is quite light, so, um, yeah, she comes out, and, uh, you know, Zack Ryder gets killed, they do the stretcher job, she blames John Cena, blah, 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 John Cena does the worst angry face ever, it looked like somebody farted on his chin, he's sitting there just looking at the camera like, really mad, it's like, it's like, it's like, dude, we that's the worst angry face ever. I would, If somebody was that mad that their face shook like that in front of me, I would slap them. I would slap them with a Subway sandwich just for comedic effect. We get our racial overcoats match of the evening with the great white Sheamus. Sure, there's no racial overtones there. Uh, taking on the turban-wearing Jinder Mahal. And, of course, Wade Barrett was on ringside delivering some actually humorous commentary i have to give wade barrett credit he really does very good commentary and he seemed unnatural in that role so wade barrett should give that some consideration when his wrestling career is over i don't know who jinder mahal is jerking off in the back but he's on tv every fucking week just getting clowned i don't know who the fuck he's messing around with back there but get him the fuck off my television especially with the fucking corny punjab gimmick Why don't you just send them out in a 7-Eleven uniform, and we could just roll with that at this point. Moving on. Brodus Clay comes out. Of course, his mama got called, and um, he took on Heath Slater. And you know that when Heath Slater's involved somebody's getting the job, and that would be Heath Slater. Um, Brodus Clay continues to improve and enjoy his gimmick. I think that the squash matches, while they are getting his character over, are going to run their course. The funniest thing about Brodus Clay is usually his commentary when he wrestles. Usually, just as he's about to deliver his finish, you get a, should I get him? Which has uh, shades of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I think that the Brodus Clay character, I continue to say is a recipe for disaster if not handled with white gloves. And I say that with um, a lot of certainty because comedy characters, and we've seen this happen before, start off white hot and then fizzle out quickly. It happened to Rikishi, Scotty Tuhati, Eugene, Santino, the list goes on and on. If you can't... Move the character beyond being a comedy beyond being a comedy gimmick. He will be pigeonholed in that, and it will lose its luster sooner rather than later. Like I said, it happened with all the wrestlers I had named previously, and it has the potential to happen with Brodus Clay as well. Next up, we get the Miz and R Truth with the, with the debut of the Little Jimmy shirt by R-Truth, which I placed on the uh, Facebook fan page. You can check it out there. Uh, Loser of the match would be number one in the Rumble. R-Truth secured the victory with his Pay Dirt finisher, or his lie detector, or whatever the fuck they want to call it this week. And The Miz will be number one at the Rumble. The big thing leading up to to the closing of Monday Night Raw was John Laurinaitis after his involvement in CM Punk's match. Uh, being challenged by Punk to wrestle later on that evening. We got to see the appearance of a future Endeavored shirt, and Mr. No Charisma himself came out and cut one of his typically boring fucking promos. Uh, David Otunga ended up replacing him. We all know that fucking piss-colored Otunga, who must have got a little bit of the dye bottle because he's a little darker this week, uh, took an ass-whooping from CM Punk. Of course, Dolph Ziggler comes out, delivers the zigzag right after CM Punk gives Johnny Ace the go-to-sleep. Now, I have no problem with this whole um, Austin vs. McMahon 2.0 storyline. It's just the fact that John Laurinaitis is a piece of shit. I put a screen cap of him taking the GTS. It, I think that fucking Stephen Hawking could take a better GTS than, than this fucking asshole. It's ridiculous. He had no emotion. He was just stoic. Stoic. I'd rather take a frog splash from Stephen Hawking. There'd probably be more emotion. It was stupid. It was stupid across the board. I think that if you're going to do a whole... Vince versus Austin vibe. You need a heel that has some charisma. At least when Triple H was involved, he was able to hang in terms of promos, and of course, Triple H will be on Raw next week for John Laurinaitis and his fucking performance evaluation. I can't do the John Laurinaitis voice the way I wanted to do it, because last week I did it and I thought I was gonna have a fucking asthma attack. Um... My nephew brings up a valid point in the chat, and he wants to know who John Laurinaitis is texting. And I honestly think that he is texting Brodus Clay's mama. Somebody's got to call her. It might as well be him since he always has the phone on him. Anyway, that's going to wrap things up with regards to Raw. Now, the Royal Rumble this weekend, we got Punk and Ziggler for the belt. Uh, Laurinaitis is the special guest referee. Guerrero and Swagger are banned from ringside. John Cena is taking on Kane. Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, and The Big Show are going to have a steel cage match, which I think is going to be the sleeper hit of the card. I think Daniel Bryan works well with uh, Henry and The Big Show, and his chicken shit heel routine is starting to grow on me to uh, a little bit. I think that the only way to solidify it would be for him to win via some sort of shenanigans, but we'll see how that unfolds. Of course, we got the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Winner gets a shot at either champion at mania the miz is going to be number one and the funny thing about that and they've continued to reinforce it for some reason is that anybody on the wwe roster is eligible to enter so i find that that particular statement is going to lead to some sort of crazy finish who knows maybe vince mcmahon will get involved maybe triple h will get involved um if it's open to the wwe roster completely does that include legends Who's to say that, you know, Kevin Nash won't get involved, or HBK won't get involved? I, you you don't know. I think that by using a statement like that, it opens them up to do something fucking crazy, as with most Royal Rumbles, but I've seen that statement thrown around a lot lately, that it's open to the entire WWE roster. Does that mean that Divas are going to get involved as well? Will we see another Beth Phoenix appearance at the Rumble? Who knows? But... It's, it's going to be a good card to watch this Sunday. I, I, I'm i tempted to order it, but not tempted enough to part with 60 bucks to order it in HD. But we'll see. I did want to close things off by acknowledging John Cena's contributions to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He actually had a conference room named after him in honor of all his great contributions this past Monday on Raw. Uh, they showed some video footage of it, and... Um, Regardless of whether you love John Cena or you hate him utterly, his contributions as a human being, as just a person and a representative of the organization, are phenomenal. As, you know, someone who, who's worked with the Make-A-Wish Foundation before, I have to say that his contributions and the things he does for a lot of these children with terminal illnesses are are things that deserve to be commended, and he's a guy that's actually fulfilled more wishes than, than people that have been working with Make-A-Wish for years, so kudos to John Cena for that, props to the WWE as well, and, um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, of course. All right, let's go right into video games this week, because there is quite a bit to talk about, well, there's a ton to, there's a ton of shit to talk about, so let's not take no commercials and jump right into it. (music) I think I'm going to retire the fucking Angry Birds next week. It's starting to get a little old. All right, let's open things up with some demo news. For those of you that are keeping an eye on the Syndicate game, you'll be able to get your hands on a demo next week. It'll be on Xbox Live on January 31st. PlayStation Network demo will drop February 1st. The demo is going to focus on the Western Europe mission which is going to have players stealing blueprints from Cayman Global while assassinating Colonel Enrico Gabrón. So you'll be able to play the co-op syndicate demo next week. Last week I talked about Resident Evil 6 and the fact that it's coming out in November, but according to Andreasang.com, they are reporting that uh, Leon and Chris are going to have new partners in this game. As of right now, they're saying that Leon's partner is going to be a security worker named Helena Harper, but they haven't given us any information with regards to Chris's partner at this time. Um, Also, there's a third protagonist, and the only thing that's known about him is that he is the man who's told to save the world. Now... A lot of people are saying that this particular character is based on the Alice character from the Resident Evil films, which if that is the case, I think is fucking stupid to create a completely new character for that instead of using the character that you built in a fucking film franchise. So I don't know what the hell they're doing with that. They really should migrate Alice's character into the games at this point, considering that you know they're on their fifth fucking movie, but that's a gripe for another day. The Xbox Live Marketplace, though, did give out some tidbits, which I noticed on their Resident Evil 6 page. Um, According to the listing on Xbox Live, uh, you're going to be able to have 8-player multiplayer online, as well as 6-player online co-op. In addition, it said on the listing that there will be a 2-player offline co-op as well. Capcom hasn't commented on any of these listed features yet, but based on the Xbox Live listing, you're going to be able to get in some serious multiplayer action. In some PlayStation Vita news, AT&T has made some changes to the pricing plans. Originally, you were going to get a 250 megabyte plan for $15, and your bigger plan would be $25 for two gigs. As of right now, they have increased the price of that two gig plan for $5. Um, they have increased it $5 more, but you are getting thir- uh, for $30 you are getting three gigs. Much like the iPad the success of this is hit and miss because of the PlayStation Vita's price, much less the software library that's available at launch is not strong, this, this data plan is going to be a moot fucking point. Simple as that. Darksiders 2, there's a ton of news that we're going to be dropping this week on mytakeradio.com. As of right now, the success of Darksiders 2 will dictate if we will see a Darksiders 3, and considering that there are still two horsemen left, fury and strife um i recommend you guys support the game so that we can see those characters um i don't know that you'll be able to stretch that series to four chapters i personally think that maybe you'd need to do fury and strife in a third one i love the darksiders series i think it's fantastic but uh how far can you really take the series with four different characters and four different sequels i mean even god of war had to hang it up on three and they're rumored on making a fourth one. But still, I think three is a solid number for any series like this. And to get the horsemen in there, yeah, if you want to do an individual game with each horseman, fine. But I think going once too often to the well will wear thin on most consumers. So it seems that as of now, let's just worry about Darksiders 2, which I'm very, very excited to play. Playing as as death looks to be a great experience and hopefully we'll be able to get the Darksiders crew back on. They've been on the show twice already, and arrangements for that are already being made. EA is going back to the FIFA Street well by releasing the new FIFA Street on March 13th. You're going to get 35 different locations to play street games, as well as new tournaments, dribble controls, and street challenges. I will be honest in saying that I'm not a big soccer fan, but the FIFA Street series for me was always a fun series to play. I also enjoyed playing Sega Soccer Slam. Don't judge me. Um, those types of games, even NBA Street. NBA Street was fantastic, especially the one that had Michael Jordan in there. It was it was sick. It was so sick. NFL Street was fun as well. Props to John for that. I'd like to see EA bring back Mutant League football, which I will tell you guys there's an Easter egg in the new NFL Blitz that was recently put out that has um, some of the Blitz players actually wearing Mutant League football uniforms. Now, I don't know if the Easter egg was meant to be intentional or if it was meant to give players hope of a new Mutant League game, but definitely something to look for if you are playing Blitz. If you've been to MyTakeRadio.com's site or our Facebook fan page, you will notice, well on the facebook fan page since i didn't publish it on the site yet uh street fighter cross tekken got some new characters unveiled this evening pac-man being one and the original mega man from mega man one the uh weird looking blue and yellow armor that he wore on that terrible nes box um so he is there and of course you're getting kuro and toro and cole mcgrath All of these new characters, though, here's the catch, are exclusive to PlayStation 3 and Vita versions of Street Fighter Cross Tekken. That means that those of you that hope to get the game on the Xbox 360 are fucked. So, for all of you that are rejoicing at seeing all these great characters, they're only exclusive on PlayStation 3 and Vita at this time. I don't know if they're going to go... And maybe release them as DLC on the 360 side, but if they do, uh, you're not getting Kuro and Toro or Cole McGrath. You're probably only going to get Mega Man and Pac Man if they do it as DLC. I wanted to talk about Nintendo to close things up because they are not doing so well in in some in some facts. Well, in so, in some aspects, I should say, they updated their financial forecast and they suffered an $839 million loss. That was up from the anticipated $258 million loss that they originally updated. As of right now, the Nintendo 3DS hardware, um, which for the fiscal year ended December 31st, they sold 11.4 million units, and the total worldwide has exceeded 15 million. They overall, in the first fiscal nine months that... Ended that, er, that ended December 31st, Nintendo posted an overall loss of $620 million. Now, before people go and say that this is the death knell for Nintendo, the fact is that N- Nintendo's pretty much fucked themselves with some of the moves that they've been doing. They're trying to redeem themselves with the price drop on the 3DS, some of the new titles that they're trying to throw out there, and the Wii U. But the fact still remains that their hardware and some of the titles that they've released are just starting to lose their luster. I think that gamers are beyond just playing first-party games only. They want to see new, unique, and engaging titles on the platform. Personally, the 3DS, in my opinion, can still be successful, but Nintendo has to invest a lot of energy. Much like I've said before, playing refreshed versions of Mario... are are really not doing them any favors. Same thing with stupid Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. Um, The fact remains that out of all the characters that they've relaunched on this platform, the only one that's new and he's a retro character is Kid Icarus. Uh, It it concerns me that Nintendo has posted a $620 million loss, and they're very, very... uh, They're calm about it in some respects. Like, they're not running around trying to make changes right away. They're just telling people to wait and see when the wii u drops i honestly think that the wii u is going to make or break nintendo at this point and if they release a console that is priced non-competitively and with very limited games it will be the death knell for them with regards to them making any headway in hardware simple as that When they unveiled their third quarter financial results, uh, Satoru Iwata said that they will be launching their own online service for the 3DS and Wii U. As of right now, it's being called the Nintendo Network, and uh, according to what Mr. Iwata said, the network will establish a platform where various services available through the network for our consumers shall be connected via Nintendo devices. This is already being prepared for the 3DS, and will be ready to connect for the Wii U as well, due to the infrastructure that's being built. The service will allow users to create personal accounts similar to Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network. As of right now, they didn't give any any to any nuggets of information regarding those accounts being linked to individual consoles or when the service will launch. So here's the funny thing. They went from friend codes and all that and and a terrible online system to finally getting on board and launching their own dedicated network. Well Nintendo welcome to the fucking future. Welcome to the future. Considering that Xbox Live is gonna is killing everybody right now and even the PlayStation network is starting to gain some steam. Personally I really I admire that Nintendo's trying to step their game up and create new and innovative technologies for people to play with, but like I've always said, playing the fifth incarnation of Mario is only going to get people so far. I think what Strider said in the chat room really does apply, that casual gamers aren't casual anymore. They've graduated, and they really, and I have to agree, they do expect a more hardcore experience. I think that... You can only play Mario Kart so many times. You can only play Mario Party so many times. Uh, it's 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 probably depressing for Nintendo fans that they'll never be able to enjoy a Call of Duty game uh, on you know because obviously the Wii wasn't going to be able to ho- to to support that type of 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 well that type of of platform. The Wii U has the potential to do that, but the worst part about the Wii U is that they're trying to. You pull a a, a tactic out of Sony's playbook and that's to throw all the hardware at you first. And then they'll say, yeah, you know, you'll get a Mario game and yeah, you'll get a Zelda game and be on the lookout for Arkham City. And the disturbing part of that is that when they showed their launch lineup and they showed you Arkham City and they showed you Darksiders 2, everybody was like, ooh, that looks nice. Of course it's going to fucking look nice, but who's going to want to play it? Who is going to buy a Wii U to play Arkham City since we've already fucking played it? Who's going to buy a Wii U to play Darksiders 2 if everybody's already played it? Same thing applies to Madden. Same thing applies to Modern Warfare. It's the same shit. I I respect them for for trying to be innovative and introducing new stuff but let's be realistic that console is not going to launch for you know 250 or 300 that console is probably going to launch at minimum at 450 because that tablet tablet you know tablet components have not gotten to a point where they're super cheap will there be a price drop shortly after launch who knows but it, you're not going to take that console home for 300 bucks. It's not happening. And, and Slick brings up a great point as well. The only way people would care about Arkham City would be if it were a, pa- a package game with the console. I, I, I have to agree. I think that Nintendo should bring back a packaging a game with the console. I mean, they did a great job with uh, Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort and later on some of the Mario games. You need to pack in a game so people can be ready to enjoy that experience as soon as they purchase the system. That's something they need to handle immediately. Microsoft started implementing that with the Kinect, and look at how many Kinect units have been sold. Fuck, I bought one. With uh, Gunstringer, Fruit Ninja, and uh, Kinect Adventures. The fact remains that Nintendo can save themselves. They can. But they really have to get past the antiquated bullshit that they've always used. Simple as that. Alright, that's gonna wrap up the video game segment for this evening. Let's get into some movies.
1: Manamana. 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 Manamana.
0: Manamana. The WWE is in the movie news this week. WWE Studios announced that they've obtained distribution rights for a a found footage horror film. The fact that that's even a genre now is disgusting. Titled Bermuda. The The script was written by Bobby Lee Darby and Nathan Brooks. And of course, it's about a documentary film crew that goes missing. And the only trace of their disappearance comes from their film footage that was found. The Bermuda Triangle has, been, has always been an intriguing and mysterious setting, said WWE Studios president Michael Luizzi. Bobby and Nathan's script puts a unique spin on the found footage genre. I think that if you're going to do a found footage horror film, you may as well uh, throw the, say that it was the Shockmaster. The Shockmaster was in the Bermuda Triangle and he killed the entire crew that was there. Because, you know, if WWE Studios is involved in this project... There, there's gonna be some wrestler cast in this film. Don't even think about it. Don't even think about not watching a WWE Studios film and not having a wrestler in there. It, it's gonna happen. Even if it's even if it's a, a, playing one of the members of the documentary, it's going to happen. Simple as that. So the the horror film is titled Bermuda and it's gonna be put out by WWE Studios. Now. Here's a good one, which um, I've talked about on countless occasions, and I thought that they had shelved the project, but it seems to be coming back, and that is the return of The Crow reboot. As of right now, Relativity, Relativity Media and producer Edward R. Pressman revealed that F. Javier Gutierrez, who did Before the Fall, will be directing the reboot of The Crow. Uh, the script the script is being written by Jesse Whitko, who worked on Tron Legacy, Eight Mile, Aragon, and The Ruins. For those of you not familiar with The Crow, The Crow follows Eric Draven, who comes back as The Crow on a mission to avenge his wife's murder, so that his soul can finally rest. Originally, they were there were rumors that Bradley Cooper would be doing the reboot, but those rumors have since been squashed. Personally, I don't think Bradley Cooper is the guy to do that type of a role, but I personally don't think they should even reboot the Crow series. They should just leave that shit alone. In news that I'm sure is going to make Slick happy, the Hollywood Reporter has gone on record as stating that Bradley Cooper, Zach Galifianakis, and Ed Helms are currently negotiating together to receive $15 million each for a third hangover film. Originally, the trio made $1 million each for the first film, which grossed $467 million. For the sequel, they made around $5 million each. That film grossed $581 million worldwide. The studio is hoping to start filming this summer with Todd Phillips again directing and with an anticipated release of Memorial Day 2013. So there you go. Cooper, Galifadakis, and Ed Helms, $15 million apiece. What's this one going to be? That the fat guy disappears and they got to find him? Maybe they'll find him in a in a Korean jack shack. They should do that, film it in Korea. Maybe they'll end up in South Korea and get killed. Seriously, the second hangover was the same as the fucking first. Anybody that cares to debate that, you are welcome to call in to do so. Because personally, it's the same fucking movie. The jokes were funny, but... The novelty wore thin. The only thing that made that movie stand out was Ken Jeong. It wasn't Bradley Cooper. It wasn't fucking Ed Helms, who's garbage anyway. Uh, Galifianakis was funny. Mike Tyson stole it. But other than that, it wasn't something... It, as much as people try to make it seem like it was the greatest thing ever, it was alright. But it wasn't the end-all, be-all of comedy films. It was okay. And of course, hitting up the... uh Hitting up the company for $15 million each is a nice fucking payday. So, of course, they're going to do it. What the fuck is Zach Galifianakis doing that'll pay him $15 million that's not the hangover? Or Ed Helms, for that matter. Absolutely jack shit. Fuck those guys. In some news that makes me a little upset, a couple of months back, I posted a trailer for The Goon. Uh, They were doing a comic book uh, film based on the comic book. Uh, the Goon is really a, 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 has a huge cult following, and I was really impressed with where they were going with the film. But it seems that the budget for that movie is done, and the movie is not being made. Paul Giamatti says, uh, went on record as saying that he asked around, and no one knew what was going on, to which he also added that I guess they ran out of money. I'm bummed to see a project like The Goon get the shelf, because it looked like a great film... And it was going to really do the comic book justice. Bum to see that happen. Here's your what the fuck movie news for this week. And it's going to involve everyone's favorite hack, Russell Brand. I'm sorry, as much as people try to tell me that that motherfucker is funny, he is not. The only thing about him that's amusing is the fact that he wears women's jeans and he swears he gets pussy. He swears that he is a sex addict. The only good thing that he ever did was probably have sex with Katy Perry. That's about it. I don't know who really was out there fucking Russell Brand, but they need to get their head examined. You know, he sits there with his fucking terrible, stupid accent. He's a complete douche cape. But it gets better. Here's his new movie coming out called The Huntrepreneur. Variety reports that Brand will take the lead role in this film, which was written by Scott Rosenberg, who did Conair and High Fidelity. It's about a family who enlist the aid of a entrepreneur to build them a haunted house in their new neighborhood. The script is said to have a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory like feel. Translation We're gonna try and rip off Johnny Depp, but not pay Johnny Depp money and use Russell Brand in his place. Fact of the matter is, it is going to suck. Uh, Russell Brand, yeah, I'm doing the entrepreneur. My pants are really tight. Ugh, fuck that guy. It's bullshit. It really is bullshit. But, in some other news, Steven Spielberg looks like he's getting his next payday with Gods and Kings for Warner Brothers. As of right now, he is finalizing that, and it is going to be a brave hardish version of the Moses story. The film isn't being considered for a 3D release, and it will not be a remake of the 1956 film The Ten Commandments. This will be a completely new film, which is hoping to start production in March or April of 2013. The film is being produced by Matt Lesham. Who bought the treatment from the studio and is being produced by Dan Lin and written by Stuart Hazeldine, who did Paradise Lost, and Michael Green, who did Green Lantern? Steven Spielberg, of course, as I said, is going to be directing. So let's get let me get this straight. Those of you that are somewhat religious or even mostly religious know that every Easter Sunday they give the Ten Commandments. I have watched the Ten Commandments ever at at least. 50 times since I was a kid and regardless of the religious overtones of that film and the message it was trying to convey, it is a Hollywood masterpiece with fantastic acting from Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson just just great actors involved in, in such a historic film, now you want to go and make a Braveheart version of Moses, which okay, you want to go and you want to do 300 style Braveheart style you're you're going to do a film which is really, really, really going to possibly get you in some hot water with a lot of people. Because if you tell the Moses story incorrectly, you're going to offend a lot of Catholics. The other part is that you're going to do a film based on Moses when everyone knows that to do a film of that magnitude and expect it to do well, you're going to have to throw in crazy action sequences, blood, violence. It's not going to happen. It's not. You can't tell the story of Moses without showing violence, uh, Jews being whipped by the Egyptians, uh, torture, maiming, killing, all that shit happened. It really did. So to assume that this film is going to be clean cut, And and by the book is ridiculous. The only way this film would do well, and if you're going to do it, quote unquote, like Braveheart, is to include that level of violence. And frankly, I don't think, um, you know, devout Catholics are going to approve of that type of interpretation. Again, that's just my opinion. But you can expect a big budget version of this film to probably launch in theaters late 2013, early 2014. So... If the asteroid hasn't hit planet Earth by then, you'll be able to see a brand new Moses film. And to wrap things up this week, RKO Pictures is planning to bring back The Saint to the big screen. Variety reports that the studio has tapped Travis Wright, who did Eagle Eye to write the script, and they have plans to develop a complete trilogy based on the studio's nine Saint films. For those of you not familiar with The Saint... He was originally played by Roger Moore and later on in 1997 by Val Kilmer. It uh it follows a character known as Simon Templar, who goes after criminals and corrupt politicians, similar to Robin Hood. The film is being produced by Rick Porras and RKO's Vanessa Coifman. Now, the funny thing about the Saint films is that they... You know, the the Val Kilmer movie wasn't that bad. I'll be a hundred percent honest. When it dropped in nineteen ninety seven, I was I was seventeen at the time. I was working in a movie theater. I must have watched that movie since I was working in the movie theater at least twelve times. And it was it was a nice little thriller, had a couple of great moments in there, some solid acting from a skinny Val Kilmer at the time and Elizabeth Shue. But the same character is It's very hard to take a character like that that nobody's truly familiar with unless they watch the series with Roger Moore and try and get that character over, much less to do a trilogy. When you do a film like The Saint, you're going to have to make it the equivalent of a film like like The Bourne franchise to get any sort of, of leverage with the audience. While I like The Saint concept, I just feel that at this point it it's basically going to be like watching Jason Bourne, just a lot nicer and with better motives. I think that for as much as, as Hollywood wants to try and bring back some of these characters and create these trilogies and these series, they're really they're picking the wrong things. As I've said, there's so many great ideas and so many other characters that you can do stuff with. Um, even, even Blade, the Blade character, regardless of Wesley Snipes being in jail... Um, you can do a lot with the Blade character. You can save that character and start doing a Marvel Knights franchise and build characters like Blade, Daredevil, The Punisher, and give them the correct film treatment and then apply that to a separate offshoot and give people those, those characters that are kind of on the verge of, of not being kid-friendly. Because Blade, for all intents and purposes, is extremely violent. You can't PG-13 that film if you tried. Same thing even with Daredevil to a degree. He is a very violent character. You have to give them the correct treatment. I would like to see Marvel develop a Marvel Knight studio. And bring out films dedicated to those characters with smaller budgets. But true to the source product. Another great character in Strider and Strider and Slick bring it up is Spawn. Spawn who was portrayed at the time by by one of our former guests, Michael Jai White, had a lot of great aspects to it that were... that if given more time and developed further, Spawn could have probably been a character that could have had a film series on par with Batman. It could have. It, it could have been a series. Because the Spawn character, if you've read the books, has so many deep levels. So many deep... You have the the salmon twitch stories, stuff with the violator, Malbolgia. Um, you can have the uh, the redeemers. You can go down an an entire list of spawn stories and create some great things. One of my favorite involved the uh, the serial killer Billy Kincaid, who is an incredibly fearsome and scary character. And he would translate well to screen. There's so if you want to rape and pillage the comic book so much, you gotta go in there and grab characters. You gotta go for the gusto. Um, you know they did they did it with Kickass. I really would like to see them do it with Nemesis, which is another fantastic book. Just just characters like that. I think that if you di- if you dig into that territory and give legitimate, meaningful portrayals of those characters, you will get that audience. It's as simple as that. The, the sad part is that they'd rather go and resurrect characters like the Saint or try and make Braveheart versions of Moses. Which, you know, it's the same thing we were talking about with Red Tails. Red Tails is a big budget version of the Tuskegee Airmen film we saw in H- that debuted on HBO. It just had a bigger budget and strive to make some sort of an impact. But I can beat this up all night. I see that uh, Slick is calling in. Let's see what he has to add to the discussion. Hmm. Slick, what's going on, brother, for our 125th episode?
1: What's up, man?
0: What do you got, my friend?
1: I just wanted to add in on, you know, the whole Hollywood treatment of not even just comic book movies, just movies in general. Going back to something that you said about last week with uh, Chuck Norris fucking up the Extendables 2. This shit was what I like to call the pussification of Hollywood just really has to stop. They gotta stop being afraid of R ratings. Like It used to be that, that the only rating people care, care, excuse me, were worried about not getting was NC-17. And all of a sudden, R is like NC-17. I'm like, what the fuck? Chuck Norris doesn't want the movie to be rated R because it's not good for kids.
0: The movie's not fucking for kids.: No, I, I agree 100 the percent. The funny thing is with, with Chuck Norris is that if you look up his body of work on IMDB, a majority of the films that he did with lit, were littered with excessive violence, you know, the Delta Force, some of the films he did with, um, with Lee Majors. Was it Lee Majors? No, not Lee Majors. What the hell is that guy's name? Fuck. Ah, the old guy that did movies with him. Shit, Lee Marvin. Isn't
1: the guy was fucking saran wrap in one of his
0: movies. Yeah, you know, he did. He did some. He did a lot of movies that were just the level of violence was was insane. It was insane back then. But you know, it's easier now to hide behind being pious when you you built your portfolio based on just doing you know doing violent films. Sure, you know you did Walker Texas Ranger and you did all that shit, but you know if you go if you go down the list of you know an eye for an eye, silent rage, force vengeance, Lone Wolf, McLe- Wolf McQuade, Missing in Action, Delta Force, Fire Walker, Delta Force Two, it just it, the the most the most of his the the earlier body of his work was all hardcore action films. But it's like, I always say, you know, I want to be somebody
1: with, like, an a ad, a ad company. Or, in this case, I want to be somebody in that room with Chuck Norris when he said that shit. And, you know, bring these things up to him. Like, who the fuck are you to tell me that a movie, a movie about a bunch of mercenaries, people who kill for money, can't be rated R? Get the fuck out of here! If that's the case...
0: Fuck you, Chuck Norris. We don't need you. Well, that was the thing I had said last week as well. Think about this. There are a ton of other low-budget action hero actors that you can get that would jump at the opportunity to be in a film like this. Guys like Billy Blanks, Jeff Speakman. Um, y- You can go down the list of those guys. Just guys that, are, like, like I said, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Mimi Lesios, um, you can grab so many people that would jump at that opportunity to be in that type of a film that it's insane, Richard Roundtree, Pam Greer, because if you want to go back into that list of, of, of actors and actresses that have done action films like that, that's, that's a huge list, Carl Weathers, what happened to Carl Weathers, why isn't Carl Weathers in there? You see what I'm saying? Why is it Michael Jai White? There? Well, yeah, Michael Jai White as well. You know, Scott Adkins. There, there, There's so many great potential actors in there. Tony Jaa. You can, you can go crazy and pluck a ton of actors. I want to know what kind of weight Chuck Norris had that he made a guy like Sylvester Stallone who financed this movie initially want to take that type of a stance to create a film... That's going to be completely PG-13. You basically just cut the balls right out from under that film.
1: And it's like, what the, the argument that you and I had over the first Expensables movie, especially because it came out at the same time as Scott Pilgrim, and Scott Pilgrim really suffered for it. It's like, I'm not saying that the movie was shit, But it was far from, like, a great movie. It had a lot of great action, a lot of great explosions, and some big fucking guns, and a really good fight between Stone Cold and Stallone. But... It wasn't anything that was gonna win any kind of awards or anything that's gonna be like, wow, that was just... There was some great acting in that movie. And like I said, Scott Pilgrim suffered for it. But it was something to watch. It was something to get your testosterone going and that's exactly what's going to come out
0: of expendable 2*. yeah but you know you know what the problem is with that that for as much as they wanted to make that film the the problem is and and this is this is just going back you have a film that is built on a platform of violence The whole reason we watched The Expendables the first time because you had so many combustible elements of violence at your disposal and you really had no idea how they were going to mix. It's like baking soda and vinegar. You know what happens when you mix the shit, but you still want to see it happen. The same rules apply with The Expendables. You had all these great characters from our childhood, from our teen years, all joined together in one giant action film and we all had such high hopes, because we knew it was going to be, it was going to be complete bullshit, but it was going to be our bullshit. You know what I mean? It was something that our generation can grasp, and say, hey, this is our film. These are characters we supported. These are characters we made. Instead, it became a game of politics, where a guy like Chuck Norris, who hasn't been relevant in years, decided to hold production by the balls, because he felt strongly about the subject matter in a film From a genre that he fucking helped create.
1: I'm going to really break it down right now. Give two examples. And I hate... The first one I hate because I got to shit on one of my favorite shows in a way, just to say it. Go ahead. Expendables 2, instead of being like Expendables 1, is going to be an extended episode of the 80s. There you go. Expendables 2... Instead of getting... Expendables 2 is going to be like dropping two tablets of Alka-Seltzer into a cup of water instead of dropping a pack of Mentos into a bottle of Diet Coke, sealing that shit shut, shaking it up, and watching it explode. That
0: That is a, that is a great way to look at it. The Expendables will be uh, pretty much the equivalent of the A-Team because even if you watch the A-Team film itself, the A-Team film had a lot of shooting, a lot of violence, A lot of shit blowing up, but it hid behind that. Because it it focused on building the personas, because that's what sold the movie. The Expendables is sold on the action first. The personas kind of are middle of the road. You know Stallone is going to blow up some shit. You know uh, Jet Li's going to do some kung fu. You know Jason Statham's going to fucking stare at the camera stupidly. It's shit that we've come to expect, but it's on a platform that we've grown accustomed to seeing delivered a certain way. The A-Team is expected to be PG-13 because the product is very safe and it's going to hide behind the action and the characters that built the film. The Expendables was built on violence. It was built on explosions, bloodshed, somebody getting a a straight razor tossed at their neck. You know? And
1: that's why I I, I hated to use that comparison because... Here's another way to put it. Like you said, the Expendables is built on violence, primarily on violence. Everything else is second. The 18 was built on personality. Yep. With violence. Yep. And yep. Expendables is not going to have that personality.
0: No, the hell and it's man, not. It's
1: not supposed to. It's just supposed to have fucking violence. I agree. And Mr. Chuck Norris being in there. He didn't have any of that personality of the H, and he's not going to add
0: that to the second movie. No, I think I think that the worst part also, and this goes back to what I was saying, is that Hollywood approaches so many of these films with with a total with a total mindset of just counting dollars and cents, and they'll hide behind IMAX or they'll hide behind 3D or they'll hide behind. Um, you know, some sort of a product tie-in, but the fact is that when you look at a film, and 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 I wanted to, and I'm glad you called. The, you know, let's talk about this. Mo, let's talk about this Moses project. I'm sure you, in your lifetime, you've seen the Ten Commandments. What's that? Now, when you look, oh uh, my fucking phone! When you when you look at um. When you look at a film like The Ten Commandments, that film had all the great elements to make it successful for the time period that it was released. Because back then, you can get away with certain things, but you couldn't go too crazy. But the personas that were there made the film work. You know, guys like Ewell Brenner, Edward G. Robinson, Charlton Heston. You looked at all those characters, you looked at all those fantastic actors, and you said, this film is going to be flawless regardless. You can't try and reinvent the wheel by taking that story, bringing it into the present, and not making it ultra-violent. It's impossible.
1: Yes and no. It's impossible in today's society. It's not impossible, because if motherfuckers in Hollywood knew how to do this thing called right, you could make a PG movie about the Ten Commandments a PG movie. And that shit would be fucking fantastic. But because motherfuckers don't have a right, it's basically Mortal Kombat all over again. You need your crutch called violence. And that's why there even
0: is an R rating. Well, let's let's look at it like this. You look at... Let's take a film like... Let's take Gladiator. Gladiator was an Oscar-nominated film. Um... Had a great cast, but their violence was controlled in such a way because the story was so well crafted that it made you engaged not only visually, but it made you want to give a fuck about those characters. You see what I'm saying? So you can apply that same level of of, of viciousness to, to a story being told by Moses, but it has to be done in a style That makes people really give a shit and not a style that will offend, you know, devout, uh, devout Catholics. That's my issue with trying to do this project. It's not Steven Spielberg's involvement, you know, because whatever his involvement will will give the project some clout. It's the fact that if you're going to do it and you're going to do something of that magnitude, you have to give it a fair shake. Cause Gladiator's a classic, dude. It was well written from start to finish. Same thing with Braveheart. The violence was there, but it was secondary. An underrated film that nobody really talks about a lot was The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Fantastic story, but there was there was really some hardcore violence in there. You know, you see a guy get his leg blown off by a cannon. That's why I say when people
1: actually bother to write, violence can become secondary unless it's a movie where the whole point of it is the violence, then the, even though you might have a great story, the violence is still, you know, primary. I mean, there's a whole bunch of movies that, you know, like disturbing movies, like, I'm not going to say it's in the caliber of one of the movies you're talking about, but like, take something like The Human Centipede. You couldn't have... Like a, a PG version of that, because just from the title, you have to show that shit.
0: Right, but yeah, but that's but that's something
1: because Gladiator like or even Braveheart—that's something that could have been made back in the same time when The Ten Commandments was made and had a PG rating because they had such great writers that people bothered to write good stories. Exactly. While you have movies now where you see people fucking intestines coming out, back then you would just would have seen people with this, you know, a trail of blood across their chest. That means they're dead or they' you know they're they're really hurt. It doesn't have to be as visual in the violence, thing, but the violence can still be there with a PG rating. Because remember, in Bambi, mo- freaking Bambi's mother got gunned down. That was not only PG; it was a fucking kids' cartoon
0: right but see in to it, it, to to actually bring bambi into the conversation i applaud you for it but the violence that was depicted in 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 that film was part of a bigger message see that's that's what right. i'm saying for the ten commandments to work it has to be violence towards a bigger message it can't just be oh let's do the chariot scene and have some some jews get cut in half or you know let's have some hebrews get whipped while they're building bricks and one of them gets like thro- get, gets gutted by like a sword it's not gonna work
1: it is It is a testament what to I say, it's like, go ahead even, even unless you have a movie like The Expendables where the point literally is to blow shit up it's like there's different ways to do the violence and the problem is A movie like The Expendables, to go back to Chuck Norris's quote-unquote point, should never be something that is safe for the children.
0: Nope, shouldn't.
1: Fuck you, Chuck Norris. There you go. This movie is about finally seeing a movie with Rambo and the fucking Terminator together in the same movie, even though that that didn't work out too well. It's is about seeing... Every action hero that the people who are moving out of the eighteen to thirty four group or just barely still in there, it's seeing those those action heroes on screen together. Yep. And none of those motherfuckers were made famous for being shit friendly.
0: There you go. That's that's I'm the like, that's a perfect way to describe it.
1: You think about freaking what what made this uh, popular. It's Rambo. This motherfucker was gunning people down, cutting them open, making freaking traps out of trees and freaking putting them in the side of people's heads and shit. You have people like Schwarzenegger in there. Even before Terminator, he was cutting people's heads off in fucking Conan.
0: That is correct.
1: And I'm like... You gonna let Chuck Norris come in and fuck this up?
0: Pretty much. I, I'm
1: not even mad at Chuck Norris anymore. I'm mad at Sylvester S- S- Stallone because he he's a pretty you know laid back guy when it comes to you know off screen and, and things. It's like he he presents himself as like a reasonable person. That's probably why he let that shit go over. He needs one of the movie personalities. Fuck you, Chuck Norris. He needed to just simply say, fuck you, Chuck Norris. I'll get fucking Steven Seagal or Billy Ray, anybody but you who doesn't give a fuck about this movie being rated R because it needs to be rated R. How do you make the sequel to an R-rated movie rated PG-13? And I'll answer my own question. Fucking Conan the Destroyer. And that shit, by comparison, sucked compared to Conan the Barbarian.
0: That's right. Nothing beats nothing beats James Earl Jones' heads rolling down the fucking steps like a bowling ball in a cartoon. Nothing. Nothing beats a giant 50-foot snake getting stabbed and a giant fountain of blood pouring out. Nothing. Nothing beats Conan being... Nothing beats fucking Simple Jack Conan being raped by a witch in a fucking tent and turning into a puff of smoke. And coughing that bitch in the fire. <laughs> That's right, but you know th- this is this is something that will be the 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 end all be all of the film industry is going to be interpretations of characters like this, and and to put a bow on it and wrap things up. If they would have taken X Men Origins Wolverine and made Wolverine as violent as he is in the books, and the film would have been R rated. Do you think the film would have made more money?
1: Worldwide, yeah. Okay. Because people don't care as much about violence in other countries on film as they do here. Okay. I mean, if it was more, you know, and, and possibly even here because, like I said, I didn't go see the movie in theaters. I love Wolverine. But I, I, I looked at the rating I was like there's no way that's going to be a good movie. And I watched it and it wasn't terrible as a movie as a Wolverine movie, was a
0: piece of shit. Well that's that, that's what I, I that's why I had wanted to ask you that because so many people you know they argue about how good the movie was or how good the movie wasn't but I figured I would ask you straight up if the film would be would be rated R would it have made more money and you and you, you answered it as well as it could be.
1: I think more of the hardcore fans would have gone to see it.
0: I agree. I think I think hardcore fans wanted that.
1: And that's what I don't get. Like whenever I bitch about a movie being watered down from the source material, people say, Well, they had to make it so that people who had no idea about it would go see it. Like, the whole reason why you're making this movie is because there's a certain fan base that is pretty much guaranteed to go see this movie. And that fan base is not small.
0: Nope.
1: Especially when you take a Marvel or a DC character, that fan base is not small. There's worldwide a bunch of men and women who would go nuts to see them get it right. That's why I say even as much as let's take a movie that we they sort of did get right. Even as much as like Spider-Man 2 was a good comic book movie. I want to see Spider-Man back in black. Right. I want to see, a possibly R rated Spider Man movie. Just because even even when he's not pissed off, there's that material in the books where you know PG thirteen isn't strong enough.
0: This is true.
1: And it's like you take just about any character and you're really pushing it when you go P G thirteen. They tend to make it work with Batman. I don't, I'm not quite sure how they do it, but they do it. But honestly, the Batman movie should be rated off. They should especially be rated
0: off. Well, that's that's what that's what I like to call, and 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 it's a it's a safe term, you know, stylized violence, where you know it's very stylish to look at, but the amount of true, see, with Batman, he's not killing anyone, so you can kind of push the. Oh, envelope- he's not. Than everybody else is. Right, everybody else is. But here's the fun part: you never see it. Like when the Joker killed Michael Jai White, they didn't show it. You know he killed him, but you know, you know that's that's something that that that's that's what I like to say is is the stylized violence where you can do that because it works with that character. Even when Wolverine went ham in in X Men Two. And started killing all the guys in the X Mansion. It worked because it was more stylish. There was a stylishness to it where you said, "Oh shit, Wolverine's getting it in." But in the grand scheme of things, when you do it by itself, it w- it doesn't work as well. That's all it was. Oh, at the at the end of the day,
1: yeah.
0: Is, yeah at the end of the day, we'll see what happens and how it pans out um, with this Ten Commandments project. Or Moses, as it's being titled right now. Well, no, they're calling it, um, what the hell are they calling it? Gods and Kings. That's what they're calling it.
1: I call it a failure.
0: Well, Well, I'll hold you to it. We'll see what happens. Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, I'm good for now. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up. Thanks for the call, homie. No problem. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, guys. That actually wraps up the movie segment as well. Great, great conversation with Slick. Uh, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 125 for Thursday, January 6th, uh, January, 6th January 26th, 2012. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or have any questions or concerns, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also call the feedback line 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. Social networks, you can find us on Twitter, MyTakeRadio. You can also find us on MySpace. Become a fan on Facebook. Ask us questions on Formspring, formspring.me forward slash MyTakeRadio. Add us to your circle on Google+, Plus and show your support by picking up the MyTakeRadio app for Android and iOS devices. You can find the Android, the Android app in the Amazon Marketplace, and of course the iOS apps are on iTunes. You can listen to MyTakeRadio not only via BlogTalk Radio, but simulcast live on Mixler, also on Stitcher, You can subscribe via iTunes, Zune Marketplace, Blueberry, Miro, and soon to be debuting on a brand new platform, which I will announce within the next 30 to 60 days. The only thing we ask is if you are getting your shows from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. Helps us move up the rankings and it allows us to get more people to listen and more people to support the show. So you can do your part just by giving us a rating and even a review if you feel like it. And it'll help us out. Alright guys, that's gonna wrap it up. I will catch you guys next week. Let's figure out what outro music we want to play, but until then, I leave you with this. <laughs> Alright, I think we're gonna go out with uh You know what? Let's go with um the Contra Force Power Trip available on OCRemix.org we yeah. yeah.